Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today on the podcast, we have joining us Devin Korn. Devin, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Chris, thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Uh, it's great to have you here. Devin, tell us a bit about your current role and your company. Sure. So currently, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer for a company called Nautilus Integrated Solutions. Uh, and what we are is a uh, company designed around supporting the military industrial base, specifically the Navy industrial base. So we specialize in component manufacturing for nuclear submarines and nuclear aircraft carriers. And we currently have two sub companies, uh, one in Connecticut called Micro Precision Group and another one in Pennsylvania called PRL. Uh, the Micro Precision Group is a machine shop and assembly. And the uh, PRL is uh, everything from a foundry to machining all the way to non-destructive testing. I love having manufacturing companies on the podcast that manufacturing companies, people that really make things for a living. It's very uh, uh, dear to my heart um, from my days doing ERP and working with people that built stuff or make stuff. Um, so I'm super excited to have you here on, on the podcast. Uh, Devin, when you think back over your career, what are the three things that have contributed the most to your success? Great question. Um, you know, I, I started out prior to being in sales or anything. I, I spent about nine years in the, uh, just over nine years in the military. And uh, I think the one thing that 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 has really done that's helped carry me throughout the career, my career is um, one, not getting overly over easily overwhelmed by situations, not getting too high, not getting too low in, in something. Um, and also looking at, at any situation from both sides, you know, not only what my objectives are, but analyzing that from the customer's objectives. So, you know, to kind of be able to plan ahead of time of what what's going to be that mutually agreed upon decision in the end. Um, and then the other thing is just, uh, you know, I think being able to work with others and build others up and, and build a team around me uh, that can allow me to succeed because I'm, I'm never would tell you that I'm the smartest guy in the room. And uh, I don't think any one person has the right answer. And the more people you're able to bring in uh, to a decision, the better that decision is going to be. That's great. Thinking back to your sales days, do you remember that first big, first big deal you ever closed? Yeah, I, I do. I, I've been several, I guess. So uh, trying to really uh, narrow it down to one. But uh, Probably the, the one I remember the most was uh, when I was doing sales in oil and gas, you know, supplying gas stations. And uh, I had a, came across a distributor that didn't quite meet the requirements that we had for size and everything, but you just saw the business that he had and, and what he had already created, where he came from, where he was you know, projected out to go. And you could see it. It was just plain as day, uh, but nobody else was really giving him the time of day. So I was able to put the business case together, uh, get him brought on board with Sicko Petroleum, the company I was working for at the time. And within just a few years, he was one of our best customers. He, he had the best stations. Uh, he really was kind of that beacon customer and really uh, you know, 
always can look back and I still stay in touch with him to this day because uh, it was a success story for both of us. You know, one, me being able to support him, but it really was the launching point for his company as well to, to take That's awesome. Off. Was there something that you learned early in your career or, or uh, sales training you had or whatever that made you look at him a little differently than others were? Yeah, you know, you, you asked me earlier on the, the keys to my success, uh, and I saw a lot of those same things in him, actually. Uh, you know, the attention to detail, you know, he, the way he, he, not only the way he operated the site, but the way the employees that he had, uh, the, it, it even filtered down to because all his sites were interurban sites in the city of Detroit, so it's a lot of the sites were, were really the, the nicest thing for blocks within the uh, uh, the areas that they were around, and you could tell that this community supported him, and that he supported the community, and uh, it was it was refreshing to see that. And uh, he, you know, he's become well known in the city. You can drive by a site, you may not know it's his, but if you looked at it, and you say that's got to be one of his sites because he's got rose bushes out front, the lots are clean, it's well staffed, well lit, and uh, so he, he he really embodied a lot of those things. Like I said, that I that I see that's made me a success. Think back to when you got your start in sales. Was there something that you just thought like, uh, you just believed at your heart, this is what it's gonna be like to be in sales and turned out that you were flat out wrong? Um, yeah, I, I think so. As I kind of think about that, yeah because I, I've kind of done, I, I did a little bit of sales right after I got out of the military. Uh, I was building houses. Uh, so I was the construction manager, but the construction manager really does play a vital role in the sales part. So I was constantly dealing with the customers, uh, both through the uh, sales process, but even post-sale. Um, and, and that was very interesting of just some of the customers that I would interact with and some of the personalities and things. And some of them was like, man, is this really what sales is? You know, some, there's some, some unique people out here in the world. And, uh, and it, it carried over into oil and gas sales as well. Um, and, but I think the more you get used to the customers and you start to understand what they're viewing, uh, you start to go, okay, this is, this is more like what I anticipated it being, but uh, you know, I, I had a, you know early on when you get those first few customers that light into you on a phone call or something, and you're kind of I don't know if I want to do this if everybody's going to be mad at me all the time. <laughs> I bet, I bet. What's the craziest story you have from those days uh, doing sales? Yeah, perfect question. Uh, I was thinking about this just the other day, and every time I do, I, I laugh about it. You know, I just had gotten hired by Sickle Petroleum, so I'm uh, maybe two, three years out of, out of the military at this point. Uh, I've gone through about six to eight months of sales training with them, learning about the company, and they said, okay, we're going to take you up, introduce you to your new customers. We have a vacant territory in Michigan, and we're going to take you up and introduce you to your customers. So, you know, brand new to the company. We, they load us all up on the corporate jet at several of the VPs and, and general managers. We all get on the plane. We fly up to Detroit uh, DTW Airport. We go into uh, the hotel there on the airport, and all the customers are lined up in a line on one side of the room on their tables, and we're on the other side. And before the meeting even started, they said, we, you know, we, we, need, we would like to say something. Said, sure, go ahead. 
and they started at one end of the room and went all the way to the other. Every one of them pointing at me and telling me how bad I was. And I, they didn't want me. Uh, they thought I was going to fail from day one. And they were insulted that, that the company was even putting me in the place. And the whole time I'm just sitting there going, I've never met anybody here. Nobody barely doesn't even know my name yet. How, are the, how is everybody so against me that, uh, that this is going on? And so we, uh, uh, to the credit of my general manager, he, he said, hey, you know, first off, you don't even know this guy. Uh, you don't tell me who to hire. And I guarantee you within a few months, you're going to love this guy. And so we ended the meeting and we jumped back on the corporate jet and we're flying back. And, and one of the vice presidents of the company goes, man, that was a, that was a pretty rough meeting, huh? And without thinking, I just looked at him, you know, again, a couple of years out of the military, I just looked at him, been in worse. <laughs> He's like, nobody shot at it, so it was good. <laughs> From then on, they were like, oh, you're perfect for this job. You're going to do really well. So, yeah. And it did, you know, in hindsight, too, within a matter of months, almost every single customer had apologized for their behavior in the initial meeting. And, uh, you know, when I left six years later, uh, every single one of them said that I was the best territory sales manager they'd ever dealt with. So that's uh, awesome. That's really a testament. That's terrific. Tell me about your transition to sales leadership. What was behind that decision for you? Yeah, uh, you know, so, I think especially coming out of the military where as I was enlisted and an officer both and as an officer you're even enlisted in the Marines anyway you are you're always a leader of somebody. Uh, so I had a, a lot of leadership experience and I uh, was really looking for the opportunity to, to kind of showcase that and. You know, being a territory sales manager was great, uh, it did offer me the limited ability to train new territory sales managers as they came in and kind of mentor. Uh, and everything, but uh, now being uh, in the, my newest role where I have formed a sales team or in the process of forming a sales team and, and really now transitioning from just mentoring type roles and training type roles to now I have a, a sales team. I've got to set sales objectives and stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, because uh, you, you, you're looking at things from a different point of view. So all the things I used to you know, get upset with my region managers or anything for, you know, dictating down, you, you see it from the other point of view and you kind of understand it a little more, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, again, those, those things that I have been, have allowed me to be successful, that's the same things I'm trying to instill and get in, into my sales teams and just give them the support, be able to empower them to do the jobs that they do, that they need to do, giving them the tools, and, uh, you know, the worst thing that I can do in my mind is micromanaging. Because uh, if I'm micromanaging uh, a sales team, then they're not going to be effective. And I've seen it too many times. I've been in too many situations where I was micromanaged. And, you know, if you're going to micromanage me, then you can hire anybody to do the job. But if you want a true salesperson to do the job, then you need to empower them and let them do the job that you hired them to do. You mentioned the word empower multiple times in that response. I think that's a key part or key element to being a great leader, especially a great sales leader. Can you talk more about empowering or how you empower your team? Yeah, the, you know, I think the biggest thing is being clear with what the objectives are, you know, setting clear, concise objectives for them and saying, here's what I need from you. Here's what I need you to do. And also taking feedback in that and saying, hey, you know, here's the sales goals that I think you're going to hit. 
uh, and having that discussion, you know, you still have objectives you need to hit, but getting feedback from them of what support they need in order to hit those objectives and not just here's your, here's where your goal is, go do it. And I don't want to hear from you until it's done. I, I think being able to give them the tools and the support, whether it be marketing materials, budgets, or connections that I may have that they don't, or additional sales training, things of that nature. Um, and I think being open and communicative uh, as well and not, you know, giving them the goals, to, giving somebody their sales goals and everything at the beginning of the year and then coming back towards the end of the year and saying, why didn't you hit them? That's not effective. You've got to have that, you know, constant check-ins, constant updates. Um, again, not pushing them, but making sure you're supporting them in the way that they, they need to be supported and answering those questions that they may have. Um, I, you know, fairly recently at, at, when I worked at ExxonMobil, I worked in two different regions and we had a region that our region manager was very empowering uh, for everybody. So morale was high, productivity was high, everybody loved working and it showed in our results. Uh, I worked for another manager that was 180 degrees out from that, very dictated. You couldn't make a decision on your own. It had to be ran, everything had to be ran through him. Uh, and consequently, poor performance, poor morale, uh, and constantly missing our numbers. And, you know, if you can't, if you don't allow your sales team to have that freedom to go out and in a meeting with a customer to be able to make a decision right then and there within bounds, uh, you're, you're really, you don't really have a salesperson. You got a gopher. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, how you empower them is giving them those, set those guidelines, but, uh, just supporting within those boundaries. Thinking about those two managers that you mentioned, um, what do you think it was about the the one that you said was empowering his team? What was it about him that allowed him to do that? And what was it about the other manager where he wasn't able to do that? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of wonder that quite often of what, what makes one person a micromanager and one person not because both people came from different backgrounds. Matter of fact, the one that was the most empowering, um, oddly enough, had the least experience in that area of sales that we were doing. The one that had the most experience was the most micromanager. In that case, I think it was kind of, that was the reason, is one knew that I don't have the knowledge to micromanage you. I need you, I, I'm not gonna get down the details. I need you to do that and, and have faith and have trust that you're gonna do it. The other one, I think, kind of felt that uh, it was a little bit threatening if, if their sales team knew more than them. So they kind of didn't, they wanted to squash that down and you were just the minions that worked for them. Uh, and, and they just used you, like I said, as kind of a gopher between, hey, just give me the information I need, let me make the decision. And uh, it's just, again, you've got, as I'm finding out every day, and. Uh, you don't have the time as a manager to get, if you're getting into all the, the minutiae, the, the smallest details and not empowering and, and trusting that your sales team is doing that for you, uh, you you're just gonna drown and never get, get to where you need to be. And you can never scale. You're, you're just a huge right. bottleneck. You, it's like you're hitting a wall and that's it. Yeah, you, you really are. You know, and, and you can see it again, you know, you would on, on approvals that were needed by the, the one manager, the micromanager that was, they were always late. It was always repeated. Hey, I need this. I need this. I need this. Where the other one was, you send it off. I need this support. Boom. You get, you get the approvals back. Is there anything else you need? You know, let me know how I can help. 
uh, and it was just night and day differences. What was the biggest mistake you think you made in your first sales leadership role? Um, I think, uh, and I'm probably going to uh, contradict myself a little bit of not managing enough. So giving too much freedom too early, uh, I guess would be the way to put it. And I know that sounds like, well, then you're saying you want to be a micromanager. I, I think you just, I, it took me a little while to really get what, what level of detail I do need to provide so that people at least have a direction that they're going and they're not just kind of going in all these different directions, wasting time. Um, I just, I didn't give enough of the detail of here's who you report to, here's the chain of command, so to speak, here's, here's the, the businesses that I want you going after. And, and once everybody gets established for a while, and specifically with a new sales team, as, as I have now, um, if you, if you don't kind of at least give that early deal, people just kind of scatter and go every which way. And they're spending a lot of time, maybe in areas that I didn't intend them to spend it in. And that, so I'm finding that, you know, hey, I need to give a little more clear guidelines and kind of reel some of this back in so that we're all going in the same direction, pulling the same way. Yeah. What's your strategy for building a great sales team? Well, again, I think it's good, clear, concise directions and goals and attainable goals. Uh, you know, I, I, I always laughed when, you know, you get your goals at the beginning of the year and say, okay, here you got to do, you got to. X amount of gallons or X amount of dollars or new, new that, you know, numbers of new customers, this, that, and the other. And you look at your territory and you say, there's not that many people in this. There's the, the revenue that could come out of this in total. If I had everything in this area, doesn't add up to that. So you have to set realistic goals, realistic measures, uh, and, and you have to, to support them, uh, whether it's especially in the manufacturing role, you know, Hey, if, if I'm not producing things on time and fast enough, I can go out and oversell my plant and then I'm going to end up losing business long-term because I've got dissatisfied customers that are like, Hey, uh, you know, you, I've been waiting on this part you promised me for a year now and it's still not here. I want, I want everything back. I'm going to take it to somebody else. Um, what about in terms of how you structure your team? So uh, what what I so you know, I'll, I'll use kind of the the structure that we we had when I got to this company and, and what I've kind of changed it to is uh, again in a manufacturing company and it was understandable why the sales organization for either company was the way they were because they were independent companies they didn't really go out and look for business it was just whenever somebody called them they managed it so their salespeople also were their estimators. So the salesperson took the phone call, they did up the quote and they sent it back. Now that we are growing this portfolio of companies, I've separated the estimating from the sales team. So the estimators are dedicated to their respective companies and the sales teams are, and that's why I like the lead dog part of your, your, your podcast name because they're, they're kind of, for a naval term, they're the hunters and killers. They're going out and they're looking for that business now. So they're going to go, they're going out and actively calling the customers and saying, Hey, um, I'm already doing this amount of business with you. What other business can I do? I've got another company now with additional capabilities, but you know, let's open things up and have those dialogues. Um, 
and a lot of it too because the companies are uh, a little behind on some of their production and everything as we we go through this transition and that they're tasked with that communication too to making sure that the customers know what's going on uh, you know I, one of the big things that that i heard when i first got here and took over the group was some of the sales managers saying you know i knew we couldn't meet the the delivery deadline but in order to get the business i gave them gave them an unattainable date anyway well i said well, you will never ever 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 do that again i said uh, you know i've always lived by the the bad news doesn't get better with age mantra Right. You may not like the date I'm going to give you, but I'm going to give you a delivery date and I'm going to stick to that delivery date. Uh, and again, you may not like it, but that's a realistic date I'm going to stick to. I'm not going to give you a date and then constantly change it every every couple months. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of reorganized into this new organization and we'll, we'll see, time will tell, but it, it, from the customers that I've talked to, we've been dealing with, it's helped a lot. The, the, the communication's better. Uh, the on-time delivery is starting to improve. And uh, we've got additional business as well. That's awesome. God. Um, change is hard, especially when you're new in uh, in your you know entering into a role like you in a new company. Um, what what advice do you have for people that are stepping into a new you know a role in a new company, a new organization for them? On you know what should they what should their focus be that first ninety days? I think that first 90 days is really seeing what you have, uh, you know, and, and it's not just seeing what you have internally, you know, understanding your customer base, talking with your customers and not just doing the, Hey, nice to meet you. Here's a lot, you know, I'm Devin kind of deal, but asking those tough questions of how, how is our, how are we doing as a company? How, how, how is our service level to you? Are the sales people giving you what you need? Are you getting those answers from it? Um, and you need to very quickly, I think, analyze that and you need to, to decide, do I have the right salespeople to, to do what I need to do? Do I need to make structural changes, personnel changes? Uh, I'll be honest, I had to do very early on, I had to do one of the hardest things I've ever done. And that was to let an employee go because they were hurting the customer relationship far more than they were ever helping. And, you know, and, and you know, I had, that was one of my early deals after that was having to kind of repair some of those relationships. And it was at the point that the customer, one of the customers even came to us after the fact and said, thank you. Um, so, you know, it, it, that's obviously not something you want to have to do, but you sometimes you have to analyze it and say, this is a change that has to be made. Uh, I, the best course is that you don't have to let anybody go and, and you're able to train people up and, and get them on board with what you want to do. And that's the ideal situation. And for the most part, that's uh, been what, what I've, I've been able to have. Uh, but really just analyzing both sides of things and making sure you have the right structure. Like I said, you know, looking very quickly and saying, well, I'm overloading my sales guys. They don't have time to go out and call anybody because they're doing estimate, estimating all the time. So you're either going to be an estimator or you're going to be a salesperson. You, you can't do both. Yeah. Yep. Dealing with rejection or losing a deal is just, part of the job in sales. What is your strategy for leveraging uh, those situations as learning opportunities for your sales team? Yeah, um, you know, really, whether win or lose, one thing I've always done is, and again, a, a military term, but uh, 
do a, some people call it a post-mortem, but an after-action review. And I do, I try and do that after every meeting, uh, every sales that I, I win or lose. And to, to break it down and look at the numbers of why, why did I win it or why did I lose it? Um, and really when I go into any uh, negotiation, it's not just about winning this bid today. I'm always thinking about, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna win this one, but what, how's that gonna affect the next one? Uh, you know, if it's a contract, it's a seven or a 10 year contract, even though it's, you think, oh, it's 10 years away, I don't need to worry about it. You do, you know, the price that you set today, they're going to want a little better price 10 years from now. And so, you know, if I go in too aggressive up front, yeah, I may get the business, but it's, it's not sustainable because I'm not going to be able to renew the business in, in 10 years or it's, it's not profitable uh, business for me. So sometimes you walk away from some of those deals too, right? And, and you, you determine up front, it's like, yeah, this deal's too rich for me. My economics don't work. Um, and, and they are tough, but you, you look at it and, and in the oil and gas business, I kind of looked at it as if, if somebody else has to outbid, they outbid me and win that business. That's also less money they have to beat me on the next bid. Um, but uh, not to pat myself on the back, I didn't lose too many deals either. So at least not ones that I wanted, didn't care about losing. But, uh, uh, you know, and you, sometimes you can't help but lose them. Um, you know, a company reputation goes a long way in some some deals. You know, when I was in, doing oil and gas stuff, I lost a lot of, uh, you know, opportunities, not necessarily deals, but you lost a lot of opportunities because of the name of the company. Uh, you know, it just had a negative stigma. ExxonMobil was exactly the opposite. You got a lot of those opportunities because of the name on it. And you maybe got the advantage of paying less than the competition because you had a stronger brand name. Yeah. Uh, but regardless goes back to you know you after action you look at it you say why did we lose it um and use that comp as competitive intelligence for the next one that you go in and also knowing what your people you're bidding against are are doing in the manufacturing realm you know maybe it's is our cost structure uh, you know too high or you know is our you know how is somebody else if if all things being equal, did somebody take a little margin on the item to get it, or are they more efficient in other ways? And so you're constantly going back and, and reevaluating uh, other ways to make yourself more efficient so that you can have a better, better opportunity next time. Yep. So we're going to transition the discussion from leadership to one of my favorite topics, CRM. Do you love it or do you hate it? Uh, I would say I have a love-hate relationship with, with <laughs> CRM tools, uh, and from from two sides. I would say that uh, a correctly utilized CRM is a very beneficial CRM tool. Uh, it, it helps the team, it helps management, it keeps everyone on the same page. More often than not, though, uh, poorly implemented or poorly utilized CRMs become a burden on everybody. And so they're not a helpful, helpful tool. They're simply a item that I have to suffer through and use. Uh, you know, most recently, uh, at the last company I worked, worked at at ExxonMobil, we used Salesforce and no one used it. It was, it was a tool that was there and it was once a month or once a quarter, you get an email saying management's gonna be going in and pulling reports out of Salesforce. So you, that was the only time you went in and actually entered anything in. 
but it was because it was nothing more than a data entry point. There was no, there was no return or benefit that I, as a salesman, got out of it. It didn't give me any metrics or anything. I mean, you could look at a win-loss ratio if you really wanted to, but it was not it was not anything that was put on the dashboard or anything. It was strictly so management could look at, at numbers. And in all reality, the way they had it formatted was the numbers weren't accurate to begin with anyway. Uh, they rated everything on a percentage scale through that through that tool and everything else. Um, but you flip that into a tool that's utilized correctly. Uh, and now it is a, it's a true tracking metric. It, it's something that, yeah, I'm entering it in, but I'm getting something out of it as a salesperson. So I'm able to, to put it in and customer service is able to add their notes to it. Or if I'm getting ready to go into a customer, I can pull up their account and say, oh, I see that, uh, you know, I've talked to them about this, this, and this, and uh, they called customer service about this issue or that issue. And this is where their products are at in the assembly. That's a useful tool, uh, and and that's how it, it should be utilized. And that's and it's a it's a value add too for management, obviously, because then as a manager, I can look down and I can see uh, my sales force is actually doing things. I don't have to now require them to write a monthly or weekly report to tell me what they did because it's in the CRM tool. Uh, and honestly, over the years, I've kind of had to you know, back of the envelope, if you will, my own internal CRM tools, because the ones that have been provided by the company were never sufficient. I've, I've kind of used OneNote for uh, for many years as, as, as a stopgap to be able to track what I'm doing, as well as when it inevitably comes time to do a job handover or a customer handover. I'm I can use those files and transfer over. And that's what, again, a, a good CRM tool allows you to do that. Hey, I'm handing off a customer to somebody else. Yeah, you can do that knowledge transfer through the CRM tool where um, otherwise you would have to come up with a different way. Yep. You hit, you hit one of the common issues that we see, you know, when we engage with a client that or a company that's like, hey, our we're not getting the ROI out of our CRM like we were expecting. Can you help us? And we start peeling back those layers of the onion and seeing those core issues. And it's so often about that misalignment between, you know, the management team, like, hey, I need good sales numbers. Let's build it so I get my good sales numbers. But they leave out that whole thing of like, hey, we need something that's actually going to help our sales team. Um, that's going to become an engine, you know, where they're going to be enthusiastic about using the tool because it's helping them. It's helping them win more deals, make more money, um, you know, and so they're going to, you know, be enthusiastic about it and, and, and really start leveraging that tool. Um, when you start talking CRM with your sales team, what is your strategy or how do you go about that conversation you know, assuming you've got a good tool, um, what is your conversation with your sales team to really get them enthusiastic about using the tool? Well, yeah, I think the biggest thing is that it's going to be it's going to be something that's going to make their job a little easier, or at the very least, not hinder their their job. You know, you just hit on one thing. I remember working with uh, some guys that uh, that they would get they would hang up the phone from a sales call, and then they spend the next ten minutes typing into their their phone, you know, notes from the deal. And they're like, I spend more time on this phone typing in 
notes for my meeting than I do making the calls that I'm supposed to be making all day. And it went just what you're saying, their productivity crashed because of it. So if it's in the way, uh, then it's not a benefit. So, you know, when I'm talking to people about CRM tool, I'm saying, hey, I want, I want something that's going to make your life easier. You're, you, there's a level of, okay, you've got to do reports and stuff like that. But if you're doing things the right way, you're entering it somewhere anyway. You're keeping a notebook or you're keeping hard paper files or you're keeping a spreadsheet or something like that. So you're, it's just making it a consolidated way for them to keep their notes and also allowing them to understand that, oh, wow, I don't have to call customer service or somebody else before I go in to, to get an update. I can get it all right here. And so, again, it's, it's correctly executing it and being able to explain to them and allowing them to be part of the process and picking the CRM in my case, because we don't currently have one. So we're going through this exact process of analyzing what CRM tools we tool we want to use. So I'm allowing them to kind of be in on that process and say, okay, hey, is, is this something that you guys would use or no? And how, and this is how I envision it being used. And quite honestly, thinking back to two, how, how would that have affected me as a salesperson? Uh, and what's, what tools did I need to support what I needed to get the management? Um, and so, so far people have been receptive. Now the other side of that too is the technical aspect of you've got, you know, I've got a sales force that's ranging age from uh, upper 50s, lower 60s to, you know, uh, in, in the early 30s. So you have, there's also that barrier that you have to overcome of, you know, some somebody that's a little farther along in their career is going to be less in tune to make a change. They've got the way that they've, they've always done it. And you've got to probably hold their hand a little more through the process and do a little more convincing than the younger generation that's already kind of IT savvy and, and likes interacting with the technology that that some of the your older uh, uh, more seasoned veterans maybe don't like doing. Yeah, you know, Mike, our advice for those scenarios, which is a very common one, is for that older crowd that aren't maybe as comfortable using that technology, you just give them extra love, extra attention, extra hand holding, and they'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. You know, that it's just, they just need a little bit more and that's okay. It's all about just getting them where they need to be. And, uh, and so if you start with that in mind, it works out fine. Um, yeah. So, well, we are at our end time here on Sales Lead Dog. Devin, I really appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to reach out and connect with you, if they want to learn more about Nautilus or your, your portfolio companies, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, one or two ways. Uh, Nautilus has a LinkedIn page, uh, and you can reach me or, or the company through that page, or you can go to nautilusis.com, which is our webpage, and there's a link on there to email me as well. Yeah, that's great. And all this will be in the show notes as well. So, Devin, again, thank you so much for coming on Sales Lead Dog. It's been great sitting here listening to you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. 
Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM. Delivering objectively better CRM for business. Guaranteed.